when we were there, I saw the people with their Boston jackets. Now, I didn't know about Boston to Big Sur until then. And I was like, what is this? I want to do that. And so that's why we signed up. And so I told her, oh, there's this thing where you run Big Sur after. So I got my sister to sign up too. And so after we finished Boston, we're like, I can't believe we have to have another marathon in two weeks. And that Boston was only our second marathon. So we're like pretty inexperienced. And so I think we took a couple days off, did some easy runs. And then the weekend in between, we tried to do like a pseudo long run, like maybe 10 or 12 miles. And it was like, hard and we were both like we don't know how we're gonna do this in a in a week like we can't believe we have to do this in a week and so when we got to Big Sur we kind of just are we we didn't have any goal it was like just finish it like <laughs> that's it hello podcast world welcome to episode 83 of run chats with Ron runs NYC The crazier and more difficult the challenge, the more it stokes Thea Angelo's competitive fire. During the quarantine, she ran 104 miles in 25 hours in the Backyard Ultra. In April 2020, she won the Broken Ladder Challenge, an event where you start running a mile a day and keep going up in mileage until everyone taps out. Thea started her day one with her virtual Boston, running a 3.15 marathon at 4.30 the morning before work, and continued battling with her sister Liz and one other competitor before winning it all by running 27 miles on the treadmill super early to take away their will to continue. Thea definitely has some David Goggins in her. When she learned of the B2B, Boston the Big Sur Challenge, she convinced her sister Liz to join her. They ran Boston 2019, the perfect storm year in 324, and bounced back with a 3.30 at Big Sur 13 days later. Impressive stuff, particularly given Boston's weather that year. This year, she set a huge goal, to go sub-three in both. Thea Winford at Boston, shooting a takedown or 2.54 marathon PR, and suffered the last 10, but she fought gamely for a 2.58 Boston PR. This time, she would have only six days to recover. After a conservative 132 half, she ripped a huge negative split and ran 3 hours and 46 seconds, finishing in second overall at Big Sur. What Thea didn't know, however, is that she had won the B2B challenge and had set the record, becoming the first to go sub-6. You'll have to tune in for a fun story with Coach Ben Rosario, Steph Rothenstein, and Ben Benjamin, everyone's favorite running couple for Naz Elite. We took a deep dive on her stellar recent racing, her friendly competition with her twin sister Liz, and what's next. I hope Thea's drive to take on huge challenges will inspire you to tackle something new and exciting. Let's dive on in and take a listen. Yeah, Angelo, welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you this evening? Doing well. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. It's good to see you. We have a funny little story about how we met and got introduced for the podcast. So for all the Run Chats listeners, it's, uh, I think it was the day before. Yeah, it was the day before. It was Sunday, um, probably like late morning-ish. And uh, I, 
I'm really, really good friends with Brendan O'Leary, um, the founder and head coach of O'Leary Racing Team, who coaches a lot of great athletes, terrific runner himself. Brendan's actually been on the show and a number of his athletes as well. And Brendan's like, you know, come to the shakeout, hang out. You know, you're always the guy who gets the best pictures for us. And I'm like, all right, I'll come. I'll come hang out. So, of course, I come and we do our run and we get to this one spot that I found the year before where that, has that ramp, you know, the uh, that goes across the highway there. You get the higher ground there. You get the nice wide angle shot. And, of course, Thea and her friend are just like walking by, unsuspecting, minding their own business, probably just trying to chill the day before the race when I flagged them down. And I'm like, uh, sorry, do you want to be our photographer for the day? And she got totally roped in and was a really good sport and got some great wide angle shots for us from up on the ramp. So that's how we met. I followed her. She followed me. And for everybody at home, she did the Boston to Big Sur Challenge and just absolutely destroyed it. But we're going to get into that much later on. For now, I just wanted to give you that little fun story for everybody for how we actually met. Because it's amazing. People say to me, where do you get your guests from? I'm like, you have no idea, man. It's like all over the highway. But the chances of us ever meeting in real life besides that would have probably been like zero, right? Yeah. So we were actually on our shakeout and we lost our group. So we were like walking around aimlessly looking for them. Nice. <laughs> and which group were you doing a shakeout with? Because obviously oh, there's just, like a million. Oh, okay. So, um, it was, I was actually running with a friend of my sister who I'd never met in real life until Boston weekend, because the person I was supposed to be staying with got COVID. So I like the day I was supposed to fly in. So I had to like find a new place to stay. And so I, <laughs> so I, um, my, me and my sister, between the two of us, we know a bunch of people running. And so I kind of just blasted everyone and her friend had an Airbnb. And so I stayed with her. And so we met up with her group who is, um, they're from DC area and, um, they were, it was a shakeout run. We were supposed to be running like, you know, like shakeout pace and the rest of the group kind of like took off. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to waste my legs. And so we kind of lost them. And then we were just wandering around when we ran into you. I love it. I mean, tell me that isn't, that's running community at its best right there. And it's also at its worst, you know, the breakdown shakeout run supposed to be slow and easy and chill and then fucking people take off. It's the same, the same story. Life, life never changes. And those people probably had the worst races, you know, on marathon Monday, but that's okay. They dropped everybody on the shakeout of the Charles river. So, you know, in their mind, they won, they won the Strava workout, they won the Strava challenge. And meanwhile, uh, you know, their race blew up for Monday. But I mean, that's just amazing that you were able to find somebody to shack up with and get a space because it's, you know, incredibly crazy, you know, trying to get a room and, you know, people do have issues. Airbnbs are great and I use them all the time myself, but sometimes, you know, they just break down. Sometimes people find out that their Airbnb is not happening and they're there in Boston and it's like, okay, where am I going to stay now? You know, get the tent out and sleep out of the park and and hope the cops don't come and lock you up. So um, super cool, man, that you, uh, that you're able to pull that together, like totally last minute. So did your sister run also? No. So we, she normally would, but so we ran together in October, Boston, 2020. Um, but she was actually pregnant. She was like very pregnant. The baby was born in, um, November. So we ran that. That was like her last kind of, like, we took it easy. She was very focused on just finishing while me and another friend, we kind of escorted her all the way back to Boston. And we had like a good old time, like the best Boston I've ever run um, because we could just enjoy the course. We stopped 15 times so she could use the bathroom. 
We got popsicles and candy on course and we finished in around 4.33. So she had like a really decent race for a very pregnant person and it was a blast. So now the baby's here. So she didn't sign up for 2021. So I was on my own for the first time. Amazing. I mean, that's actually really super cool. I have a friend who lives in my building here in my complex. She's 35 weeks or 34 weeks. I don't know. Um, one of the two and finished around what, right where you're talking about in the mid fours. And, you know, she's an amazing runner and I'm sure your sister is too, because it takes incredible strength to be running at, you know, carrying a baby and what, however many weeks along you are. Um, and I think it was just magic that it was the October fall race with the uh, rolling start and none of the stress of being in the normal corrals where everybody's all hemmed in and squeezed in. It was a once in a lifetime experience. I mean, I've been running Boston since 1995. I've run in the 99th and the 100th. Um, and it's, it was only my 10th overall because I had a lot of breaks and gaps, you know, coaching my son during his sporting years and stuff. And now he's a college graduate. But um, that's so cool that you got to do that together. And, uh, you know, hopefully you got a lot of selfies and some fun, uh, fun memories from the day. Yep. Could actually run with the phone and just take a lot of pictures. We ran into like a couple other pregnant people as well. And so we had, at one point there were four of them running together. We Strava friended another one of them. And so we've been following her as her baby was due later. So she just had the baby and just this week she's like back running again. So I love it. We need a babies on board episode. We need it. Um, I, I know uh, Amelia, my friend from the building, she's agreed that she'd come on, but it might be even more fun to have her and a couple of other moms on together and do it like a panel, a panel chat, like have each of them talk about their highest moment, lowest moment, you know, and also just all of the people out there that have decided they're doctors, of course, and can tell, you know, the moms to be that it's not safe or it isn't good, or you know how everyone has to have an opinion. It's just like everybody's a, an immunologist or a virologist and knows more about COVID than actual doctors and scientists who've studied their whole life. So um, good for her, man, for going out there and doing it. And really cool that you guys got to do that together. Now, are you guys identical, fraternal? Like, what's the deal on the twins? What's, what's the deal on that? Identical, and um, she's two minutes older. Aha. I see. So I'm thinking it's probably super competitive between you two. Do you guys duke it out in everything, like board games, everything, whatever it takes, like someone's got to win? Or is it just like you guys are chill together? Um, so there is some competition. Um, I do want her to do well, but I really want to just beat her by like one second. So we'll like race the whole, we'll run the whole race together. And then at the end, like the sprint to the finish, like we'll try to beat each other. So in Chicago, which is our current PR, we ran the whole thing together, kind of taking turns leading. And then at the very end, you know how there's like a little uphill. Yes. Um, so we start kicking towards the end and then she gets a leg cramp and I beat her by 12 seconds. And so uh, I turn around, I, I cross the finish line, turn around, she's not there. And I'm like, where'd she go? And she like comes hobbling in like, I got a cramp. And I was like, yes, I won because she admittedly had like a way better training cycle than I did leading up to that. So for me to win, it's like kind of comical, actually. <laughs> but now I have the family marathon PR. So, oh, yeah. Oh, that's on. That's that's not over with, of course. I mean, she's probably oh. <laughs> secretly plotting back home. She's on the East Coast, right? And you're in San Jose, right? So you guys are on opposite right. ends of the coast. So right now, wait till she hears this episode. She's going to be like, oh, I'm coming <laughs> for that shit. I'm going to get it. Yeah, I got my cramps. It's all you probably were rooting against me. I'm coming for it, man. We're, we're getting her on the show for sure. We're going to have like point and counterpoint. 
So yeah, it's classic. It's funny how people well, that have run... we have the same voice, so you might have trouble like telling us apart on the audio. <laughs> oh, that that's even better. Um, you don't even have to be twins. My brothers and I all sound alike. Like we could call each other's wives and be like, you know, pull it off. Like I kind of know exactly how to talk like both of them and just change my phrasing a little here and there. And it's like, oh, how are you? Oh, yeah, it's good. Yeah, we're gonna be a little late. You know, we're doing this or that. So that's that's totally classic. Um, good stuff. So um, tell everybody, you know, just a little intro on yourself. You know, where did you grow up? Uh, what kind of sports did you play as a kid? What were you into, you know, before you found running? Uh, so I was born and raised in Fairfax, Virginia, which is a suburb just outside of Washington, D.C. Um, normal suburban childhood. I have my twin sister and then we have an older brother who's a year older. Um, so the three of us and then we would, you know, just play with kids or friends in the neighborhood, ride our bikes, rollerblade. Um, we played, we, sw we did swim team for like a year, but in the end we ended up, uh, me and my sister, we became soccer players in elementary school. So we played club through um, high school and then um, high school is when we started running. And so eventually we dropped soccer and started running. And the soccer coach could not have been happy, but it, you know, event, I, eventually, I think, our, uh, I think our track coach was more unhappy that we did soccer along with track than our soccer coach that we also ran. Cause that was probably beneficial to soccer to have like that endurance. Yeah. You get that. I mean, you either have coaches that are just so focused on the kids, like, you know, the do what's best for you. Don't worry about me. Don't worry about the team. Or you get the other ones like, you know, hey, I'm going to go talk to your dad or mom. I don't really see your future in soccer. So if you were doing cross country, indoor and outdoor, you really, you know, it's like <laughs> they're focused on themselves and the team versus the athlete. And again, others are really worried about a kid being well-rounded and like fully developed. So it's super cool. And um, so you guys both ran together on the same team. Did you do relays and stuff together and all that? I mean, were you guys doing DMRs and whatnot? So that had to be fun, right? Four by 800 DMR. Yep. Nice. So this way you didn't have to worry about beating each other. You're on the same team. So that was good. And uh, high school, she actually probably beat me at almost every race in high school. She was like a little bit faster than me. I see. I see. And then, but then I had like, I had a little bit higher GPA. So it kind of balanced. <laughs> <laughs> not competitive at all. What about older brother? Don't tell me he's not involved in the shenanigans. He's got to be in the mix somewhere. Or is he just off on his own saying, let them duke it out? He's off on his own uh, academics. He was like, eh. and then um, he was more of a, like, he tried every sport you could think of. Um, like he did lacrosse, swimming, wrestling, football. He dro got dropped from the football team senior year for like skipping practice. So then he ran cross country with us. So he like tried everything. Yeah. Nice. Nice. And what about now? Does he run it all now or is he race at all? No, he uh, he's no, he, he, Joined the team, but I, he didn't really race, I, I would say. Cool. No problem. So it's not his thing. Not his thing. So you so kind of just watches and then he'll like buy us shoes for Christmas. Oh, cool. So he has his role. Yeah. Cool. All right. You got him trained well. Um, <laughs> and that's important. So soccer originally, you guys are into that. Get involved with running. And I know your high school coach was somebody that you actually are still in touch with today. And I always love to hear these kind of stories. So Tell me why 
Um, how did he actually connect with you? Like what made it an important connection enough that you actually still want to stay in touch today? Um, cause it's important. I love to hear this stuff. And I also love to share that with people. I know the coach, whether it's at a high school level at, you know, a grade school level or something else like, Hey, this is how you really want to connect with younger girls, younger boys, high school age, boys, girls, like share tips, pass things along. Uh, so I think, so our first year, my freshman year was his first year coaching and he's like a really humble guy. And he has like all these accomplishments that he barely talks about until it like slips in one day and you're like, you did that. Wow. So he's, he's still running. And he, he was the type of guy who like, we'd have a snow day from school and he's like, yeah, I just ran, like took the day off and ran 27 miles in the snow. And at that time I, I was thinking like, wow, this man is crazy. But now like those are the type of things I do. So I'm like, I kind of get it now, <laughs> but yeah. So at that time we're like, this man is crazy. Um, so he's the only co formal coach I've actually had. So he pretty much taught us, taught me everything I know really about run running besides like things I've read in books and found online. Um, he built up our team, our freshman year, we were like, just this like ragtag bunch of like mostly former soccer players. Um, we were probably like last in the district or close to it. Um, and then through the years, we, you know, we just followed his workouts and improved. I complained a lot in high school, which <laughs> I understand now, like as a coach, he was doing the right thing, but he would say like, oh, we're doing 2400s. And we're like, this is crazy. Um, but now like 400s is probably like my favorite speed workout, probably because of that. Um, and so our senior year, um, we had our team, we had fast individuals, um, but no one was really like super standout, like, you know, like top in the state or anything, but together as a team, we were like fast enough to be able to compete at a team level. So, I think our junior year, we won the district senior year. We made it to regionals and states as a team for cross country. And then we came in third in the state, which is like huge for us. Um, a lot of people, well, we had me and my sister used to work at a restaurant on the weekend and a late one of the coaches from another team would go there. And she came up to us after we had come in third in state and was like, oh, I bet you guys are disappointed. And we're like, no, we're elated. Like, like she didn't know where we had come from that to get this like little third place trophy was huge for us. So, um, so yeah, that was our coach. And so still keep in touch with him. Um, he'd do like alumni runs whenever like around breaks and stuff so that we can all still meet up and run together. Cool. So the guy hammering you to do 2400s, you're trying to negotiate with him, uh, conflating, not wanting to do it. And then he's running 27 miles on a snow day. Does he know the kind of crazy shit you're into now? And is he like paying attention going like, wow, from afar? Or or did you just, you know, does he just like check in occasionally? But does, does he know what you're up to as far as uh, some of the awesome racing you've been doing? Yeah, he does. And um, he even said one time, like, oh, I think you guys finally have like gotten to a level where we're faster than he currently is. He's not as fast like and from his prime, but like right now, I think if we were to race a marathon, like I might be able to win. <laughs> you, you might be able to take him. And again, it's good that you're not competitive at all. So you're already like benchmarking <laughs> that, figuring out if you'll actually race him because you have to make sure you're going to win. But that's super cool. And does he know about your ultras and backyard ultras and all that other fun stuff? Because I know... Uh, you got involved with that during the pandemic, which, which had to be awesome way just to, you know, keep your focus on something and doing something when there was very little for us to do. Yeah. So 
that yeah it was pandemic was like the time of I guess people doing crazy things <laughs> so I did um in it was April 2020 it was at the first so we there was there's a race director in Maryland um, named Trent Swanson and he does the Algonquin ultras um, he had this like crazy idea to do this thing called broken ladder challenge where on day one you run one mile day two you do two miles and then it keeps going until there's only one person left so he had written out like a spreadsheet of how far it could possibly go with like the total mileage and the total weekly mileage and at one point it looked it's like that's not sustainable to like run 500 miles in a week or whatever so the first day was actually um the day boston was supposed to be marathon monday so i did like a virtual boston that day on day one which was only supposed to be one mile and I did it on a one mile loop in my neighborhood. So I just ran it 26 times. And I had, I'd put like a bottle of water on my neighbor's fence so that when I ran by, that was like my aid station every mile. And so that was my day one. Um, and then of course, the, and then the first week I kind of was able to recover because it's like day two is only two miles and day three is only three miles. So that marathon, I ran it by myself starting at like 4 a.m. And I ran it in like, 3.15 and then went to work or virtual work, whatever. So the next day, two miles and I kind of recovered. And then I think it wasn't until like day 13 where it was like, okay, this is kind of crazy. And I don't know how far we'll be able to get. Um, so me and my sister were both doing it together. So we kind of like would plan, you know, like, and you were allowed to break up the runs into two runs. So if you couldn't do like all 13 at once, you can do like six and seven or um, break it up however you want, but you can only do two runs. You couldn't like break it up into three. So we got to 20, 21, 22, 23, and then day 25. Um, so my sister, I should add, is a nurse. She works, she normally works in the operating room, but during COVID, she was deployed to the COVID unit. So she's working like, 12 hour shifts in the COVID unit and also doing this crazy challenge with me. And she would run to work at like 4 a.m. to get in like half the miles and then run home to get in the rest. And so on day 25, there were only three females left. And she was like, I'm I'm done. Like, I don't feel like running home from work today. I'm tired. And so I'm like, okay, that's really respectable. Like I was working from home. So it was a little more flexible for me. Um, so I, I did the marathon, the 26th. And then there's just me and another girl left. She did her marathon on a treadmill. And the next day for 27, I was thinking, I want to get it done early, like all 27 done first thing in the morning. That way, when she wakes up, she's like, oh my gosh, she's already done. And like, kind of like intimidate her. <laughs> and so that's what happened. So on day 27, I finished my 27, like in the morning. And then she like waved the flag and was like, you win, <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> And so the guys, they kept going and they got to the 50K and then they got to 32. And then finally on 33, um, that was the male winner, 33 miles after doing like building up. So it's like a marathon for so many, a marathon plus for so many days and then 50K plus for, you know, a few more days. So that was Trent's crazy idea. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, there's so many things that went on during COVID like this, you know, full backyard ultras, you know, running X number of miles in on time loop and you got to keep going. And ones that went way over 24 hours, 72 hours, hard, 
Harvey Lewis has won a bunch of them. And, you know, Jackie Borsma, you know, who's running with, you know, an amputated leg, ran 102 or 103 marathons in 103 days. She ran a marathon every single day, 102, 103 days, like just mind boggling. And I remember distinctly, because what you're talking about, you could split it up into two. With her record, she had to run the marathons. They couldn't be like 13 in the morning, 13 at night for it to count for this record. And one day she, I don't know, there might've been a half marathon in Arizona where she lived. So she didn't realize it. So she ran the half marathon and like came back home. And then she thought she was just going to go on the treadmill and run the other 13. And then people started writing stuff on her posts and on Twitter. And, you know, unfortunately there's a lot of people who just don't want us to do this kind of crazy stuff or they just want to be jackasses. And she got so pissed off instead of like throwing the white towel, she just went out and ran another marathon after already running, you know, the 13 and being tired and thinking she was going to finish it. She, she finished another marathon a day, but she did, the record was 101. And I think she did, she did two extras. I think she did 103 and she ran Boston while we were there. So she was running a, th a marathon every single day, you know, not 10 and then 16, every single day. Truly amazing. Raised a crazy amount of money. Um, and there's just stuff like this is, uh, to me, I just think it's amazing. Des created Des-tober, which was the exact same thing you're talking about, which is, you, I don't know if she had a limit of how many runs you could do, but it was the same thing. Each day it went up and it went up. And I wanted to run 60 miles for ribs on my 60th birthday and did. And in building up to that, the, uh, I wanted, I was actually training to do my first hundred miler. I'd never done a hundred miler. I'd run, I'd run a bunch of fifties and I knew if I could do 60, you know, come on, I, I could do a hundred if I'm in the right core, if I'm on the right course, I'm in the right state of mind, I can do it. Maybe, maybe not. I decided that I would run 15 miles every day, not because it's, I don't know, there wasn't a whole lot of logic behind it. No ultra plan would tell you to do that, but I just know how tired you are every day cumulatively. And you know this, you're going 26 and doing 27 the next day. It's like, okay, how am I going to do this? You just start going and you do it. 15 was so long that I knew it would be really hard mentally, way more hard mentally than physically. And every day, not like, you know, starting at one, it was 15 every day. And I made it to the 25th or 26th of the month, 26, 26 straight days. So I was at 400 some odd miles and I wanted to break Dez's record. And I took this hard fall running at night, like in the pitch black with no headlamp on a street that should have all the street lights on because it's a main, main street. And there was just like a dip in the pavement and I caught my toe, uh, you know, my sneaker and I flew through the air like super install, smashed my knee and I ended up fracturing a bone in my knee. And I didn't know it. It got all swollen. You know, I could barely walk for a couple of days, but I had three more days till my birthday. And I told everybody on Facebook and Instagram, I'm fundraising. I'm doing this on my birthday. I can't change the date. I have to go through with it. I got to do it. I ended up running the 60 miles and I do it and find out that I had a stress fracture after. I didn't know. I mean, it just, I figured I was just being a wimp. So <laughs> I did it. And uh, this, this kind of stuff, the stuff you're doing, the backyard ultras, you know, this challenge, this stuff's awesome, man. It gives you something to do. And it's not just really hard physically, it's hard mentally, right? I mean, you're, you know, you're trying to take that chick out. You did it by going early in the day where if she saw the thing posted, she's going to potentially raise the white flag. And if you hadn't done that run to like six o'clock at night, she might've done it. You know, you don't know. She might've done 27. And then maybe, you know, you might've been questioning whether you're going to do it, but, um, awesome, awesome experiences. And, um, so let's shift away from the super cool ultra stuff for now 
and just get into like how you actually got into doing like, let's say your first marathon is always a good place to start because I know Chicago is where your PR is. And now I know you were there running it with your sister. But like, where's your first marathon? What was that experience like? And, you know, what kind of training did you do coming in? So our first marathon was Portland in 2016. Um, we, we had run, so we coming off the, our like senior year track season, like best shape of our lives at the time, uh, we did a half marathon like that summer. And after finishing the half, we were like, I don't know how people do this twice. So like, we literally joked for like 10 years, like we're going to start marathon training. We're going to start marathon training. We never did until 20 January, 2016. That was like, all right, we're, we're let's pick a marathon and we're going to try to BQ. So we looked up like good BQ marathons and Portland came up on one of the lists. It's like relatively flat. There was like, the course might've changed because um, I know they changed uh, directors, but um, there was only one like major hill or like kind of hill at mile 15 going up the, to bridge. the bridge. Yeah. Yep. And so other than that, it was like pretty flat and pretty decent course. So we followed um, Pete Fitzinger's um, plan from his advanced marathoning book. Um, the one that peaked at, it was 18 weeks long and it peaked at 55 miles, I believe. So we followed that like to a T, her on the East Coast and me on the West Coast. And our goal was to just run, I think at the time the women's BQ was um, 335. So we were aiming for 330 was our goal, which is like uh, eight minutes. Eight flat, eight, eight minutes a mile. Yep. Yep. So that was, so we we're going to run with the pacer was our, our, our plan was run with the pacer until the end when we're feeling good, we'll like finish strong. So we ran the whole thing. Oh, and I should add that my sister like roped in her fiance, like uh, her current husband, but at then they weren't married yet. She roped, he had been doing the training runs with her. And so she was like, oh, why don't you just sign up with us since you've been like doing all these miles with me? So then she signed him up too. So the three of us ran together and this guy's like, not, he's a runner. Like he, he's one of those like very casual runners. No, he doesn't, he doesn't use a GPS watch or didn't at the time. He never ran like organized races. He just would run for fitness or like to stay in shape, like around the block. He didn't know how far he was going, that type of thing. And now all of a sudden he's running like at least a half marathon every weekend during her marathon training. So halfway through the cycle, she's like, oh, you should just sign up. So she signed him up. So the three of us ran together. Um, we ran with the pacer. And then I think it was with four miles to go. My sister like starts to pick it up and I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, we said we would do this, and, but we never said when. And so I just leave to like follow her, you know, to stay with her. And so we ended up finishing in 328. And so that was our first marathon and our first BQ. It was raining in Portland, of course, which was preparing us well for Boston 2018, which is what that qualified for since um, it was after the September cutoff. And then her husband finished in a very, very respectable 3.30 after like, and then he retired. Like he hasn't <laughs> run more than like five miles since. <laughs> oh my God. Totally roped in. He probably, they probably wouldn't be married if he didn't go along with it, the shenanigans. So it's probably a good idea that he did run. Um, and that connected them, you know, for, for their future life together. Uh, and then he's out, he's out of the mix. I love it. Totally awesome story. But that's, that's a fantastic, uh, debut marathon for both of you. I mean, that's really a solid experience. Um, 
very rare do people actually finish a race stronger at the end. It almost never happens. Um, even for, for experienced runners, it's really difficult to truly run a good negative split race. And even running even splits is, uh, is an acquired skill. And Boston, I mean, I've been running it forever um, and I've got tons of experience. You know, if you can do a positive split of a minute or a minute and a half, you've run a hell of a race there um, because it's just almost impossible not to run positive splits because no matter how easy you go in the first half, it doesn't matter. I don't care if you're going by heart rate, by pace, by stride power number. I don't care what metric you might be using or feel RPE, whatever it is you're going to run fast in the first half. You can't hold yourself back that much. And the second half is just that much harder. And no matter how strong you are, it's almost impossible to run, you know, uh, that equally even, which is even more, more impressive by what Scott Fobble did, man, because he literally ran two dead even races and let the larger groups get ahead of him and just ran his own race and then just closed so strong on the back end and finished it off. Because you don't you don't really see that that happen too often. So... What a cool debut for the two of you. Were you guys like jacked up? Were you like seriously like pumped or did you just like naive to some degree? Like, wow, everybody gets a BQ in their first chance. Like, did you have any idea like what a cool thing that was to do? I think now we know that it's like most people say, oh, um, you know, like your first marathon, you don't know what to expect. So don't have any goal or like, don't, you know, don't try to have any expectations or goals, like just enjoy it, just finish it. But I was like, no, if we're running a marathon, we're going to beat you. <laughs> and I think we might have even just trying to, it might have even held us back a little. Like, I think we were probably very conservative, which is why we we're able to finish stronger. Like we probably could have pushed it a little more um, and finished faster, but we were staying with the pacer. So I think that's part of the reason why we like felt so good at the end. Yeah. I mean, look, it's, you, you obviously picked a time that was within both of your fitness levels. Um, and, you know, one of you was going to pick the pace up. So, you know, your your older sister by two minutes uh, dropped the hammer. You had to, like, answer the call, you know, and you left hubs behind. So um, still all good, man. Totally good. And Portland's a great race. It's a fun race. It's a really good course. I hated that bridge, too. Not not a big fan of that bridge. Um, but every bridge is a hill. We all know it, man. The Verrazano in New York and every other bridge you ever run across is going to have a big-ass hill. And um, you know, but the good, the good news is they also have the big downhill once you get over the top of them. So that's always, that's always fun too. I think you're right. I think it's right around 15 or 16. I only ran it once, ran it a long, long time ago. Um, and yeah, really, really good experience and a, a well-managed race. So where do you go from, from Portland and your BQ? You run in the monsoon year in 2018, which I was there and part of that madness was that, did you both run in 2018? Yeah. So 2017, actually, I was pregnant with my son. So which actually worked out that I was um, like we had the whole year before uh, Boston in 2018, April. So he was born in September. So after that, I had it was seven months um, to train or to get back um, to be able to run this marathon. So um yeah. So tw April, 2018, he, he, he was with me, um, seven months old, I think almost to that day. Um, and it monsooned, we kind of threw away our, whatever goal we had. I can't even remember what it was at the time. Um, once we found out the weather and I mean, that was a year where, like, I think everyone learned something. <laughs> um, I learned how to handle the, uh, like what not to wear your race shoes onto the bus so that they could be soaked for three hours before the race even starts. Um, but we, yeah, 
the race, uh, we actually PR'd because the only other marathon we had run was Portland. So we, we were, I think we were aiming, we might've been aiming for like a 320 ish. We ended up running 324. Um, the race was decent. Like I couldn't feel my feet or my hands the first three miles, but once we kind of warmed up, I think we were, I, I don't even remember our splits, but we ran like a pretty strong race, like solid race. We didn't blow up or anything. Um, so that was our first Boston experience. And that same year, for whatever reason, we signed up for Big Sur also. So we did it 13 days later. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, there's so much in there. Um, to go through that experience for the first time for your first Boston and have that be your first Boston, it's just crazy because I think one of the reasons that I was able to make it through that race is that I just, I know the course. I know every inch of the course. I know every nuance. I know where everything is. And I mean, I ended up in the medical tent. I had 91 degree body temperature. Like, I don't even remember things that went down from once we crested heartbreak at the top of Boston College. I distinctly remember coming down that hill feeling like wobbly, like I might bowl somebody over, like for real, like take them out like a bowling pin, just like fall. And coincidentally this year, and I don't know why, I just noticed the last couple of times, October, again, this April, when people come down that hill, you know, you have the train tracks to the left before you, you know, kind of cut around the corner there to the left. I see more people fall coming down that hill, whether I guess they just don't have their legs underneath them anymore, or maybe they didn't get enough gels or fluids in and their legs get a little wonky, but I see people fall there all the time. And, you know, that year between the winds that were insane and the amount of water that we just got soaked with, that was basically like an ice storm conditions. I mean, it, we would have been better off if it was snowing than the conditions we had. Snowing would have been far better because we all would have been drier. And even if the air temps were 10 degrees colder, we would have all been better off because the fluids were just knocked over on so many tables. I mean, how could anything stay upright when the wind's blowing 30, 35 mile an hour gusts all directly in our face, by the way, for all you fun people listening at home that didn't get to run in 2018. Um, but I made this super cool book um, and I called it The Perfect Storm because I love the movie, The Perfect Storm. And what I did is I took pictures of the training cycle of long runs I did with friends that were also running Boston. And then of course, pictures of the race that day and what I do is I take it to Boston every year and I have everyone that ran in that race sign my book and sign a note. Dez has signed it, Meb signed it, but all my running friends have signed it. And it's like super cool. I'll show you, I'll show you the cover because it's right next to my mic here. So this is, uh, this is me in the monsoon. I don't know how well you can see it there, but Look at, look at the look on people's faces, man. They're just That's like, awesome. get me out of here. But, um, you know, I told you about like losing your faculties. Uh, I had a hat on my head, you know, and you know, that's gone, you know, and people are saying like, where are your gloves? I'm going, well, I took my gloves off to try to open a gel and then they blew back 35 miles. We'll go back and get them. I'm going, you don't go backwards and get something when the wind's blowing 35 miles an hour. When something falls and it's gone, it's gone. Like it's, you know, you're praying to the gods that you can just keep moving. Um, but, uh, I'm amazed that both of you did that well and didn't end up in the medical tent because, um, I just remember weaving on the roads, like just trying not to smash in anybody. Cause I had just like kind of lost full control of everything. And I was so cold and so shivering. And literally the second I stopped, I was in a wheelchair and they just like rolled me in there. But meanwhile, it was like, you know, the deli counter when everybody wants to buy uh, cold cuts for the holidays. When <laughs> It's like take a number and there's, I mean, there's, there was nowhere for anybody to go. Everybody had hypothermia. So, um, you know, I'm just thankful that 
um, like the people who did get pulled off the course, I feel for those people. Um, cause I sure every one of them wanted to continue and maybe some of them couldn't, you know, maybe some of them were really actually injured besides hypothermia, but I'll bet a lot of them, if they had the chance would have, and, but they stopped at a certain point that they were too far away. And then they just told them, no, you know, you can't go back out there. So, um, pretty epic to have your first Boston be the year of the perfect storm. Uh, so, and that prepared you for that. And then you did Big Sur after that. So was it six days apart that year or was it 13 days apart? 13. 13. So you got a little grace because I was telling you before we came on that I ran London the year of the perfect storm and London ended up being 80 degrees. So you had 13 days, which is not much recovery time. And so that's your first bit, you know, Boston to Big Sur. Now you both did it together, you and your sister. Yes. The previous year, um, I had run the relay with um, Mom to Run This Town, which is my running group in San Jose, or in um, their peninsula and San Jose. There's two groups that I um, run with. And we had gone as a group and did the relay the 2017. So I was pregnant with my son, like early, and we did the relay together. I did the last leg, which was nine miles. And But when we were there, I saw the people with their Boston jackets. So I didn't know about Boston to Big Sur until then. And I was like, what is this? I want to do that. And so that's why we signed up. And so I told her, oh, there's this thing where you run Big Sur after. So I got my sister to sign up too. And so after we finished Boston, we're like, I can't believe we have to have another marathon in, in uh, two weeks. And it was, Boston was only, that Boston was only our second marathon. So we're like pretty inexperienced. And so we, I think we took a couple days off, did some easy runs. And then the, in, the weekend in between, we tried to do like a, like a pseudo long run, like maybe 10 or 12 miles. And it was like hard. And we were both like, we don't know how we're going to do this in a, in a week. Like we can't believe we have to do this in a week. And so when we got to Big Sur, we kind of just, our, we, we didn't have any goal. It was like, just finish it. Like, that's it. Just try to get to the end. And so we, we took it easy. Um, I think we stopped for the bathroom a few times, got our strawberry at mile 23. And we finished around, I want to say it was like three, a little over 330. Like it was 331 or 333, something like that. And so that was our first. Boston, well, my first Boston Big Sur and my sister's only Boston to Big Sur. <laughs> I mean, that's that's awesome. I mean, you're running in monsoon conditions to run 324, which is really, really solid. Um, I was hoping to run sub three that year, and I think I ran 319 or maybe like a 305. So, I mean, everybody was missing by a lot in Boston that year. So you run 324, you come back and you run 330, 333 at Big Sur 13 days later. That's really strong, man. That's a that's a great, you know, debut at doing the two marathons that close together. Very different courses. Big Sur's really difficult course, right? Very hilly, tough course, right? Right. Yep. Yeah, because I haven't run it. I have lots of friends who have, and I have lots of friends who've done the the Boston Big Sur, but I've never actually run it. So I guess yeah, I've it's about it's two thousand feet, I believe, of gain. Um, technically, both Boston and Big Sur are net downhill since they're both point to point, but they both still have a lot going on in between. <laughs> yeah, people get fooled by that stuff all the time. You know, like it's you can't always just go by elevation because sometimes it can really fool you. And yeah, like when you bomb down into Newton Lower Falls and you're like riding a roller coaster. 
people forget that, you know, no sooner do you do that, you have to literally go right back up that next hill, which is, by the way, Dez's least favorite hill on the course. I've heard her say it on multiple podcasts, and it's my fucking least favorite hill. I hate that hill. I hate it with a passion, man, because it seems like you're trying to scale that hill for like five years. And then when you finally get up there, you cross the highway, and the wind's always blowing like 100 miles an hour sideways at you. And then you finally like stabilize when you're across the road by the hospital. And then it kind of levels off again. And it's always like, okay, we're chill, we're chill, we're good. And then, you know, only got maybe like another mile before you get to the firehouse and make the right first turn in the race. So good stuff, man. So you guys survive the first challenge. You do well. And your sister is like, I'm out. I'm done with this. This isn't for me. And you're like, I want more. I want more. I mean, did you find out that you did well in that and that like inspired you? You wanted to try to do better or like, did you place a certain area that like maybe just said, Hey, I, I know I could place higher if I try this again. Or was it just that you thought it was really fun? So actually after Big Sur, when I finished that race, like I felt like I could have kept going. So that's actually was my intro to ultra marathon. Cause after that I was like, Oh, I could have kept going. Let me sign up for an ultra. So that was April. And then in July, I signed up for my first 50K. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And how did that go? So I tried to find, so I live in the Bay Area. I tried to find um, the flattest <laughs> uh, 50K. So it was um, at Lake Chabot. Um, it went well. I broke whatever course record there was. I can't remember what my time was. It, it was over four hours, maybe 420, I want to say. Um, so I had a, I had a decent race. It was a little challenging because it was loops. There were four different distances and there were different combinations of loops you did. So I started with the half marathoners and of course they're going way faster. And so when we get to the end of the first loop, they're done. And the people are saying, you're almost done. You're almost done. And I'm like, I'm not even halfway done. <laughs> and then I have to go again. And then you're with the marathoners. And so then they're almost done after their second loop. And then I still have to do like an extra five mile lollipop loop before I can come back. But that went well. Um, it wasn't super technical, even though it was a trail race. So I was able to wear, wear like my road shoes. So I felt like kind of at home still. And um, yeah, that went well. And I have done a, a couple more 50K since. So Nice. So you you clearly enjoy the longer distances, the harder races, the grind, that appeals to you. So where do you think that comes from, you know, wanting to do the harder, tougher, longer stuff? Where do you think the drive comes from? I think I just do better at um, longer distance. Like, I, I think I have better endurance to, you know, go a certain pace for extended periods of time versus like a 5K where it's like you're going way faster, but it's shorter. So I think it's probably like I would say it's more comfortable than running a 5K to me to have to do like an ultra, but you're going a little bit slower, but you can, I can just maintain the pace for a longer period of time. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of 5Ks either, so I feel you. Um, I didn't even like them when I was in my 30s and I was running 240 marathons. I just never really liked them. Um, it was just, I, I'd have a hard time breaking 17 minutes in a 5K, but, you know, I could run a 114 half or a 240 marathon. And it's like, that's crazy. I could, I was really almost running the same pace in my marathons and halves so that I that I was in like a 10K or a 5K. Um, so yep, I definitely, yeah, I <laughs> yeah, I definitely feel you. And, you know, it's funny because ultra 
Ultra did not have the appeal that it does today. I mean, Ultra has become sexy. It's become cool. And not just the backyard Ultras and stuff, Western States. I mean, these UTMB. I mean, they're amazing races. Leadville. I mean, there's just cool races. There are really neat places to go and race and, you know, find out, like, can you run for three days straight and do a 240-mile race or 250-mile race? So those things are you know, they didn't exist. Um, if they were around when I was in my 30s or 40s, I might have been like, wow, this is fun. Let me try this. Let me go do this crazy race at 12,000 feet elevation and see if I can survive and not fall off a cliff in the process. Um, have you thought about, uh, you know, I had multiple guests on that have run those kind of races like Cocodona 250, Moab 240. Have you thought about any of the really longer ones that are more like stage races that are over a couple of days? Or is that something you're just like, nah, this isn't for me? So I like to call myself a fake trail runner. Like I enjoy the trails, but I don't particularly enjoy racing on them. So I think if I were to do like a longer ultra, I'd, I'd want like a road ultra. <laughs> that would be like my preference. I'll do trails like on a recovery day or if I'm just getting like general miles in. But I find that every time I sign up for like a really hilly trail race, I'm always like having regrets and like questioning my life choices, like while running up endless hills. So <laughs> I, those, those type of races don't really appeal to me right now, but what I would like to do is like a, like a fast, like 50 mile or like on roads or even a hundred miler on flattish roads, not like technical trail. Yeah. You're speaking my language too. I am, I'm, I'm not made for a UTMB. I'll be off the cliff and there'll be, there'll be no more Ron runs NYC. Somebody else to take <laughs> over my show. Maybe you and you and your sister will take over because I'm not going to make it. I'll be like off the side of one of those cliffs and gone in two seconds flat. I'll either be trying to take a selfie or not paying attention and trip and be like, okay, that's the end of him. Um, and you know, I just, that kind of climbing is crazy. I mean, some of these races have 25, 30,000 feet of climbing. It's bananas. And, um, then also you're going down massive downhills after doing all those climbing, like Leadville has crazy downhills as well as the uphills and you're racing at 10,000, 11,000 feet elevation. So it can just pulverize you, um, in terms of that. So yeah, I'm down with either it being on softer, harder packed dirt, gravel, like along the Potomac where we do the JFK 50. You like the JFK 50. That's the race you should sign up for. Do you know about the JFK 50? I do. Yeah. You need to sign up for that. You're made for that because you really only have like 13 and a half miles of the AT. And it's really not even that much on the AT. You actually have a little less because you run, I'm trying to think it's about a mile out of town, maybe a mile and a half before you dump onto the AT. And then it's single track you know, until you get down into Weaverton. And that's where everybody, you're talking about shoe change. That's where everybody changes their shoes. They go into some sort of carbon racing flat type shoe because you're on hard pack gravel, you know, on the towpath along the Potomac for, you know, more than 26 miles. It's like 26.6 or so on that towpath gravel path. And then the last eight and a half are back on the roads, which is rolling up and down, but believe it or not, you'll be happy to have it be up and down. You you don't want to be on the flat gravel anymore because you're going to be like hallucinating by then. But that'd be a good race for you. I bet you would. Uh, I bet you would do well there. Yeah, um, I have considered that race before, and it's uh, close to home. Well, keep me posted because Mike Spindler's been on the show. He's the race director. He's a two-time winner. He used to be the course record holder. Good friend. Uh, really tight with him and his whole racing team. And I've had loads of guests on that have won JFK. Sarah Cummings won it. 
Um, and she's been on and, uh, my good friend, Kate Powerty, who I train with a lot has won it. Um, and you know, Camille Herron's won it. I mean, you know, Jim Walmsley's running. I mean, it's crazy, uh, crazy competitive, you know, and, uh, even, uh, what's his name? My boy Goggins has been down there and run it. So I think it's, uh, definitely keep it in mind, November timeframe, if you have, have an opening. Um, so let's go to, um, before we get into this year's Boston, the big Sur, which is your absolute best year of crushing it, like really, really killing it. Let's talk about your best marathon. Um, that's Chicago, right? And, you know, that was like kind of your breakthrough race, right? So tell us a little about that race and, and how it went down. So we signed up for Chicago with the goal of breaking three because it's flat course. You know, everyone says Chicago's fast. So um, in July, that same year, 2019, before Chicago, I had signed up for San Francisco Marathon because um, one of my friends was doing it. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll tag along. And so the, the night before the race, I had no like real goals in mind because I was just kind of doing it for fun since my friend was. The night before, I found out the guys from my racing team, I raced for Excelsior and San Francisco-based San Francisco club, the, they, the Excelsior guys were pacing the three-hour group. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll try to run with them. And so the I decided this the night before, like, okay, let me see if I can like stay with them. So I start with the three-hour pace group and I knew the pacers from my club and the first eight miles, I was like questioning myself. I was like, this feels very fast. I don't know if I could do this. And the, the first half of San Francisco marathon is the more hilly part. You cross the bridge and then you go through the hills. And then once you get to the half in Golden Gate Park, it's more, it's mostly flat the second half. So I kind of lost the pacer in, and our, I should say our shirts are like this bright neon yellow. So that was good for pacing because then you can always find the pacer. So in Golden Gate Park, you kind of merge with the half marathoner. So it's like chaos, but I could see the yellow shirt like way ahead. And I'm like, I need to catch him. So I eventually catch him when we leave the park. And he kept saying like, we're right on pace. We're right on pace. And so um, with two miles to go, like I pick it up and I finished in 259.25, I think. So I had broken three at this hilly marathon um, unplanned. Like I didn't have a full training cycle or anything. And so going into Chicago, I was like telling my sister, so she hadn't broken three yet. That was supposed to be our, our time in Chicago. So I was like, we can go faster than 259.59 because I ran that in San Francisco and it's way hillier. So I said, we need to go for 255. And she was like, no, I'm not going to crash and burn. I, I'm, we're running 259.59. <laughs> and so we start and as you know, Chicago, the GPS gets thrown off in the first mile. So we're like manually splitting. And in my mind, I knew what pace we were going to go because we were going to run 255. But for her, she was like, no, we're running 259. But we kind of like stay together. And she's still with me as we're going. And actually at the half, I have, I have, I had, and still have like a really soft half marathon PR from like an actual race. So I PR'd my half during that race. And I'm thinking, wow, we're on pace for 254 if we keep this up. And so we, and I, and I was also scared because I was like, I PR'd my half. I don't know if like I can keep this up. And so we just kept going, like, don't think we we're just running and doing our manual splits. And then we kick at the end and we finished in 254. And so everything just like went well, the weather was good that year. And, and then we like had complete imposter syndrome for like the next two years. <laughs> like, I can't believe we did that. I love it. 
so your sister trusted you that time because you had already had the 259. So you were the de facto pacer. You had the yellow shirt on um, and she had to trust you. And that's awesome, man. Um, Chicago is a phenomenal course. Also have a PR there. And, you know, it's just so wildly different with the weather, though. I mean, you can get days where it just gets up to like 80 and just gets so hot and can bake you. And then you have other years where it's so windy and it's very smart manual splitting. So everybody at home, that's a pro tip, man. You know, I, if I see one more person write a post on Instagram or Facebook somewhere about how they ran 26.8 miles. So they really averaged this amount per mile because they didn't run 26.2 miles and they did a bad job of running the tangents. Uh, no people, GPS watches are not hundred percent accurate. Newsflash, do your research, get a grip. Okay. There's not a hundred percent perfect line of sight anywhere on the planet we're running. No watch is ever going to be perfect. You could take 10 Garmin watches and 10 Polar and 10 Coros and run the same exact course. And I guarantee you, if you can even find two of them that are exactly the same, it'll be a miracle. I mean, they're always going to be off. So manual splitting is always the way to go. And I'm amazed at how few people actually do that in their races, because even if you miss a couple of miles, it doesn't matter if you miss three miles in a row and just hit the next one, then you'll have four miles together, but you'll still have an accurate representation. When you look at your average pace, if you're 16 miles in or 20 in it, you're going to know, are you averaging 644, 653, not looking at your watch going, Oh wow, I'm 20 seconds under problem. No, you're not because your watch thinks you know, you've run an extra six tenths of a mile, so you can't, you can't rely on it. And it's even more in play if you run international races that happen to be marked only with kilometers. Because London, although sure, it's international, they've got miles marked there and kilometers. Like Berlin, you know, is mostly more kilometers and miles, and, and Tokyo is almost all kilometers. I, the, I think, in fact, the only thing that you have any idea on is the half-half. It might be, it says half marathon, but of course it's 21.1K for kilometer people. But yeah, I mean, that's a great thing to learn how to do. Um, and it keeps you in control of your own pacing. So why do you think you guys had the imposter syndrome after, after rock of the two fifty fours? Cause it wasn't like you didn't do it. You had a two fifty nine in San Francisco on a hilly course. Like, why are you doubting yourself after that? I mean, you should be confident. I don't know. It's like, I think because when we first, like our first marathon, when we're like, I can't believe a, a male BQ time is three hours. Like that's so hard. That's, and maybe it was three Oh five at the time where like, that's, that's impossible. Like like only the fastest of guys can run that. And so to like break what we thought was like crazy, it just, it took a while to set in, I think. Yeah, but that's cool though. And you know what? I, I love people that just uh, are open like that because too many of us are like, and I try to tell people this all the time at 61, I've been around a whole lot longer and nobody really wants to hear from the old dude anyway, but you know, they have no choice. They want to listen to my show. They have to, they got to take my opinions whether they want them or not. Um, but you know, none of us celebrate the victories enough. And I mean, none of us for all the people in the back, as soon as we do something, it's usually, oh, well, my watch was probably off or, well, it was a perfect weather day. Well, I had my sister with me. Well, the pacer helped me. Well, we come up with 400 reasons why we actually just did something that's really fucking hard instead of going, man, Thea, man, you did it. Holy shit. You did it. You paced your sister. We didn't have a pacer. I did this shit and I pulled this along and we did it together. But like I did this, like we are constantly finding the reasons why like we're going to fail at the next thing instead of focusing on, wow, 
I did this, you know, which you just explained like how hard that marathon BQ standard seemed for the men. And now you've both done it. So instead of being like, we're badasses, we're, we're awesome. It's like, I don't know. Like, I'm not really sure. Um, so this is the perfect lead in to take us to this year's Boston to Big Sur. Because if you're already not feeling like 100% super confident, badass, like I'm, I'm a warrior, I can't be stopped. Um, I am it. I got this shit. You roll into Boston and, you know, obviously have big goals. You know, you want this to be your best Boston to Big Sur. And, you know, it's crazy how well you put these two races together. And, you know, so take us out there to Boston first. Um, so we're six days apart this year in this challenge, which is infinitely harder. Um, now the only advantage you do have is that you're from the West coast. So you're kind of flying back home to, which is home for you, but still, you still are starting there to fly to Boston for the race and flying home and getting a couple of days recovery and lining up again. So start us off in Boston. Of course we met, we had our fun little intro and unfortunately, Angela wasn't there with us from O'Leary, man. We're going to have to put the recruiting arm on you and get you to join uh, O'Leary Racing Team. You know, we'll have to see if we can get you to join our group here. But uh, yeah, take us take us up to Boston. Like, what was your goal for Boston? What was the race plan? And how did, how did the day go in Boston? All right. So leading up to Boston, like, I had a pretty solid training cycle, which I can't say always happens. Um, I ran CIM at the end of last year in uh 256 and that was off of what i would call like for me like an incomplete training cycle so for me to do that i was like okay this is a miracle but after that race i was like my legs were completely wrecked i i didn't have enough hills and i didn't have enough speed during that training cycle so that my legs were like wrecked like two days later i was going to do a recovery run and like the doms hit real hard like i couldn't even run one step because it was so painful so I, I think I took like four days off before I can even like run properly, like a really slow run. So I would, so that was good because it was very eye-opening where I was like, I can't be like this after Boston because there's no way I'll be able to run another marathon so soon after I have to figure out how to recover faster. So I added more hills and more speed, um, mostly hills though. I would run, there's a 1.5 mile hill loop um, next to my house. So I would literally run that loop like two or three times a week, like as, as many times as I can get there, I would run that loop on just whatever run I do a long run. I would end at that loop and do a couple loops of Hills at the end of a long run. I did a 22 mile run only on that loop. So it was 13 laps of that loop. Um, recovery days, I would just run slowly on my hill loop. Like I was just always there. I became the local legend on Strava by like a lot. <laughs> the, the, you wear the crown. You, you, yep. you gotta, you gotta wear that crown man with pride. That's awesome. Yeah. So I looked on Strava and it was like, I had run that loop like 280 times, <laughs> not, not just this training cycle, but like in the last four years. So however many miles that is, I've run that loop a lot. Um, so I did that and then I tried to do more speed. I have trouble doing speed because um, I run by myself a lot due to my schedule, like work and the kids. So it's hard for me to like meet up with people at weird times. So a lot of times I'll skip my speed workout, but I tried to do them um, like I would do 400s um, and then I would try to race on the weekend if I could to get in like a tempo or, you know, just speed. Um, so I, I didn't skip any runs this training cycle. Um, 
like I was just overall very consistent, like 60, 70. I think I peaked at 84 mile a week, which is um, not completely 84 mile a week. I think I had, because of, I had missed a long run or had to reschedule a long run. So I had two long runs in that week and it became 84 miles. So say like 70 mile a week on average. Um, so I was very, I, I felt very comfortable on the hills. Um, so going into Boston, I was like maybe a little too cocky. <laughs> so I was like, maybe I could PR. Like I had run a 10 mile tune-up race two weeks before in uh, 61 minutes. So I was like, okay, like I had this strong race. Like I feel like my legs are ready, like PR my marathon. But to say that going into Boston is like, I've, I've literally never had a good race at Boston because we had the monsoon and then 2019, it got a little humid for me. And like, I, I finished in 310, which at the time was also a PR, but it was still like one of the top three hardest races I've had because of the humidity. Um, so I thought, okay, I'm going to try to PR. The weather was looking good. Um, so I was aiming for like a, um, three, a two, 51, like 250, 252 range and my PR being 54. And so my sister had a friend, like her training partner who was also aiming for the same thing. And so we, our plan was to run together. Um, but in the first mile it was so crowded that I lost her and, um, she was ahead of me. And then I eventually caught up, but then we like, didn't really sync up. Like I was grabbing cups from the right and she was grabbing cups from the left. So we like, weren't really together. And then eventually like she fell back and I was going and then I passed the half at one, uh, 25 30, which again was like a half marathon PR. <laughs> and, um, and that put me on pace for two fifty one. But as we know in Boston, like it's impossible to run even splits. So, but, um, so that's not really a realistic finish time. But by the time I hit mile 16, like things just fell apart <laughs> and I had banked enough time that I was able to like, like the only thing going through my head was you need to finish as fast as you can to set yourself up for B2B. Like you need the best Boston time you can get. And like my legs like were completely trashed. I started off too aggressively and blew up. So I finished in 258, which is, was a seven minute positive split, but I mean, that's, it's like freaking Boston. I ran sub three. So I, was, I couldn't be disappointed. And I also thought like, well, if I was more conservative, maybe the time would have just evened out and I would have finished in 58 anyways. I don't know. Like you can always like think back, like what you could have done differently. And I don't know if like banking all that time in the beginning probably maybe helped me, or maybe I could have dropped a couple minutes if I hadn't like crashed and burned at the end. Um, but I had a, the 258 going in and like the worst paced marathon I've ever run in my life. <laughs> yeah. I love it though. I mean, look, it's an opportunity. Every race where we line up there, it's an opportunity, man. It's not like a test that we study where we know every question that's coming. It's, it's an exam that no matter how you prepare, all those Strava segments, all those hill work miles, all those long runs with all of those hills, you think, I've done all my work. I'm prepared for this exam. I'm prepared for this test. And I'm not running too hard, running through the half on pace for 251. You're not. Not really. Not for the fitness level you're at. 
But Boston has a way of just crushing people's souls. I've seen it a million times. And some of the fittest people I know who did nothing but prepare like you, doing their hardest hill segments in Westchester, in Central Park, in Atlanta, in North Carolina, wherever they're from, the hills are there. You can find them and you work on them and you keep adding them in. But race day is just different. There's something different about it. And, you know, there's always the fueling component, no matter what anybody will tell you. I find most times when somebody struggles that much, it's usually something fuel related, or maybe they didn't get their meals right a couple of days before, you know, to just get themselves to be in a good, stable place. Because, you know, we're all going to miss. But you know what? I, what I always tell people, man, when you take a big swing, you deserve it, man. It's cool. You know what? There's so much to learn from that. And no matter what happens to you, you know how much you suffer to get that 258, but you still got that 258. You didn't run 305. You didn't run 303. You ran 258. So despite all of that, and despite having a crazy positive split and, you know, not maybe doing it from an execution standpoint, the way you were dreaming of, you still set yourself up to go to Big Sur and be in a good, good spot. Um, and, but your legs had to take a beating. I mean, you had a, it sounds like you were really struggling. I mean, when you were done, you know, were you done, were you toast or you just were just beat and you know, how, how was the body feeling, you know, when you finished up? Everything was wrecked. (laughs) I thought you were going to say that, but I needed the validation, you know, I needed to know. So yeah, it's like when you finish, you know, you feel like you're okay. And then other times it's like you cross the line and you're ready to just like fall down (laughs) and fall apart on the ground. So you were, you were beaten to a pulp. What did you do? Hopefully you're going to tell me you started hydrating a lot and you started focusing on, you know, getting food and fuel and other stuff in because you got this huge task on the other side, just six days apart. I mean, did you, did you at least get that piece right? you know, knowing that the race was a struggle fest, but man, you pushed through and you won the mental battle, man. You stayed in the fight, the theme of this show, you stayed in the fight, you got it done, you got your sub three. What was the plan? Take me out from the minute you finished the race to like getting back home. Like, what did you do from there in between, you know, getting on the starting line for Big Sur? So the plan was just rest as much as possible. Um, after Boston, I met up with um, some friends in the commons and we kind of like had a little pizza picnic in the grass there. Um, I flew home at 6 a.m. the next morning. So I was up like at four to catch that flight. Ouch. Um, I landed and um, which um, since it's going to West Coast, I land like in the morning. So I have the whole day. Um, I got a massage. I took an Epsom salt bath and I rolled a lot. And so that's what I did um, for preparation, like for recovery. I took two days off running and then I did a four mile, like a really slow four miler. I did a five miler on one, one loop of my hill for, for old time's sake. And then, um, and then went down to Monterey for Big Sur. It was, this was literally like the fastest week of my life. I felt like it went so fast. I was like, oh my gosh, it's Friday and we're already leaving to go to Monterey. Um, I did a, the shakeout Saturday with, um, with the, uh, one of the Big Sur shakeouts. I did four miles. And then I did some strides. Usually I wouldn't do strides the day before I do them two days before, but I was still kind of recovery recovering that day. So I did some strides the day before just to see if I could hit marathon pace. Like if I, my legs were even there and surprisingly, my legs were feeling decent. They, I wasn't sore. It was just, they just felt kind of fatigued. So that was the only question mark was like how this fatigue would affect me on race day. 
nice. So I love the strategy and I, I like the detail. Um, those are the things you have to do. Um, way too many people that try to tackle these races that are close together or even 13 days apart, they start thinking they need to do longer runs. I mean, you don't need, you don't need to do shit. I mean, you need to run more mentally just to move your legs to make sure they're okay. You know, I like two days off. I'm sure you could have run with one day, but you know, I like two days off just to kind of let everything just heal and process. And I wasn't sore at all after Boston this year, but I didn't crush myself the way you did. I ran 333 and I'm still coming back from that stress fracture. So I'm just making my way back, you know, patiently step by step. But I felt great. I could have run the, the next day, but I didn't. I made myself take two days off, even though I felt great. And I'm just glad that I did because it's a mental break. You know, you're off of your feet. Um, the Epsom salt, great. Foam rolling has to happen. Got to do it. And throwing the strides in, it's a great idea. Look, nothing, you got to send some sort of signal to your brain before you get out there and it's race day. Like, okay, what am I doing here? So you're right. If it's strides, if it's even just a couple of blocks long and you actually get to that number and you look down and you see a 650, you're like, okay, maybe I can do this, you know, because otherwise, you know, it's going to be like a mental, you know, drain on you for sure. So um, you get out there. What's it like early, like early in the race? When you take off, you get off from the gun. What, what are you feeling like early in the race? So Big Sur, kind of like Boston, starts a little bit downhill. Um, so, And I looked at my splits from the year before, and those were like some of my fastest miles. But having just run Boston six days before, I was like, I'm not going to, you know, lessons learned. I'm, I was like, I'm not starting too fast. I need to be conservative. So um, I talked to my sister about like my plan and she's like, you can't go faster than 640 pace um, in the, in the beginning, even on the downhills. And I was like, okay, so the race starts. And I actually like, that wasn't an issue because like, I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't even go that fast. <laughs> and so, and another thing with big Sur, it's like kind of hard to get a warm up in, in the beginning, cause it's so crowded. There's not really a place to warm up. So that was the other thing is I didn't, I hadn't, I didn't, I did like zero warm up. I got to the line, it was cold. And so um, the first couple miles naturally would be warm up um, anyway. So I wasn't nervous that it was slower than I was planning, but I knew I still had to warm up. And so I kind of just stuck with a pack of guys. There weren't, I think I saw like, I ran with one um, other female marathon, like uh, like the first like two miles. And then after that, like it was just packs of guys. I didn't see any other girls until the very end. And um, we were going and like my splits were like a little bit slower than I wanted. Um, my goal at Big Sur was to squeak under three. Like it was ambitious, but I, I felt like if I snuck under three, it would position me well for B2B. So that was my goal. Um, at the half, I was, it was one thirty-two thirty. So we, I was on pace for three Oh five, which is, I was two minutes and two and a half minutes behind schedule, but in the big circle course, unlike Boston, the biggest hill is going up to the half marathon. Like the, the first half is hillier and the biggest hill, which is like two miles of climbing, um, to hurricane point where the piano man is, um, he, that's the hardest part. So after that it's downhill and then it's mostly rollers similar to CIM, I guess, towards the, to, to the end. And so I knew, even though my first half was a little bit slow, I was like, I need to make up time. But my goal going in was to be conservative in the first half, get over the big hill and then push the second half, like kind of the opposite of, that I did at Boston. <laughs> and so, um, 
So I had two and a half minutes to make up. And so I kind of kept going. And then I, on some of the rollers, I was having trouble even hitting pace because of the uphills. So some miles were a little bit fast. And then some, I was still like a little bit over seven, like 701 pace, which I was trying to be around like 640s ish, 640, 645. Um, and then towards the end, there was, so at mile 23, you can, they have strawberries, which are really, really good. They're like locally grown. And so I grabbed my strawberry, um, but I didn't want to eat it because I didn't want to like upset my stomach or like, you know, don't try anything new on race day. So I held on to my strawberry for three miles. And then I think at mile 25, someone on the side um, was like the third place girl is in front of you. And I was like, what? I don't know how, um, cause there was a man like early in the race on a, he was just sitting on the side, like with his bike. And he was like, you're fifth place woman. And I was like, okay, so that's good. If, cause top five at big Sur make podium. So I was thinking if I don't let anyone pass me and I haven't seen anybody in a while. So I was like, just hold on to fifth and you can make podium. So for them to say like third place is in front of you, I was like, I don't remember passing anyone. And I was thinking, oh, top three would be cool. So then I start to kick and then I kind of see someone up ahead who looks like, cause Big Sur, um, there's several different distances. Like there's a 21 miler, there's an 11 miler. And so you kind of run into the, the walkers in the back. And so it gets really crowded and you can't really, you're like weaving around people and you can't really see who you're racing against. And so at that point, one mile to the end, it's like so congested that you know, to see another runner, you might not recognize who's actually running the marathon. The only difference is the bibs are different colors, but you can't see from the back. So I see a girl up ahead that kind of looks like she's like pacing a, a marathon at my similar to pace to mine. So I like tried it and she was slowing down. So I'm, I catch up to her um, with, it had to been, be in the last mile. And I'm just like sprinting to the finish. Like I can't get past, I can't get past. And I, and then I was, I, I was calculating, like, I'm really close to breaking three and with, with 10 K to go, I, I was 40 minutes till I had 40 minutes to get sub three, which is two 20 minute five Ks. And I'm like, I don't even know if I could do that right now, but we're going to try. So I keep pushing through and, um, my last, like the point, whatever extra it was showing, like I ran like five forty five pace. Cause I was just like like gunning as fast as I could to get to the finish line. And then I crossed the line. And then I guess the, there were the two girls behind me. I didn't even know there were two girls. I thought there was just the one, but they crossed about, um, must've been like 30 seconds after me, but they were only a couple seconds apart. So they were right next to each other. And then the announcer, like they missed me coming through cause it was so congested. And, um, I was like, flying and so they the girl behind me they're like and our second place female and I was like what I got they were calling her for second place but I knew they had missed me so I was like oh my gosh I got second place and so the I get my medal and the guy's like weren't you the second place and I was like I don't care whatever <laughs> it doesn't matter what they said like um and so I went my I went and I had checked my phone so I get my phone and my sister's like blowing up my phone like you, you, um, you place this, you place this. And like the tracking had actually showed me in fourth because one of the ladies was, um, it was a mistake. It was a guy, um, who had his bib had the wrong gender. And then the other one must've been like, a it was either a DNF or I think it might've been a wrong distance or something. Cause the, the time didn't make sense. It said she ran like a two twenty six, which, um, would be like Olympian level or, you know, elite level, um, 
So, and, and coincidentally, the male that had run as a female bib, I had met him before the race. So I actually knew when I saw the name, I was like, oh, that's a guy. I did come in second. So it's like crazy coincidence that that had happened. And so I came in second and then I went to the, um, when you do B2B, you get to go into the VIP tent at the end. And so um, Ben Bruce um, from NAZ Elite, he had run the, for the men, um, the B2B, they like kind of hyped it up. And so I ran into him and Steph and Ben Rosario in the tent. And I was, um, I was asking Ben, like how his race went. And I was telling him like, yeah, me and you like kind of had the same Boston experience where we both like blew up at the end. And so um, he was like, oh, what'd you run at Boston? I was like, oh, I ran 258. And then I ran three hours here. And then Ben Rosario was like, oh, I think you broke the record. Because the previous record was like 601 for the two marathons combined. And then I was telling him like, oh, well, I don't know what other people ran. And then Steph said, I'll bet you $20 that you won. <laughs> So I think I owe her $20. <laughs> I love it. So you got to hang out with uh, our favorite uh, married running marathon couples. Uh, they're awesome. Ben and Steph and uh, Coach Ben is awesome with Nazalite. Uh, what a bonus. And you crushed the second half, the exact opposite of uh, your Boston scenario. You said you were 132.50, you know, coming through. So you really crushed the back half of the race, man, like 127. Uh, ish, you know, so you really laid the hammer down uh, coming home. And it just goes to show you the power of the mind, man, because if you think you're in XYZ place and you're not even sure, man, all of a sudden adrenaline kicks in, man. You're just, the only thing you know is you're going to close, man, and you're going to close and you're ripping, you're, you're trying to go sub 40 at the end and you almost did, you know, so at the end of that, and that's six days apart after Boston, where sure you ran 258, but a 258 like that beats the living hell out of you compared to running a fairly even 258. You know, it's like a, it's like a factor of 20 in terms of difficulty on the body. And there's also the mental piece of knowing, you know, that you suffer, you know, so much to get that race and then had to come back. So what an epic uh, conclusion. Uh, it sounds like a shit show, not even knowing what place you're in and the people announcing, man. That doesn't sound too sexy to me, man. I would want them calling out my name if I'm in second place and not saying somebody else's name and the tracking and 19 races going on. I didn't know any about any of that stuff, but uh, obviously you handled it far better than I would have. I would have been like all pissed off probably. I think I was just happy that I ran like a decent rate, like that I had a strong race and my time, even though it wasn't my goal, I was still very happy with that. So I was like, I don't care what the announcer says. Like I know in the results, I came in second. That's, that's all that mattered. Yeah. And I mean, the crazy thing is your net net was sub six, which is bonkers, man. It's awesome. I mean, and so the previous record was like 601, right? Like uh, Ben Rosario was saying or Steph was saying. So yeah, you over the cash, man. You're gonna have to Venmo that Venmo that cash over for sure. Although she probably doesn't need the 20, you know, it'd be a nice move, you know, or at least <laughs> tell her she's got to come hang with your running club or something like that. Her and Ben, you know, bring the bring the Bruce family down for a little, you know, Bay Area run, little hang, little hang session. So you got to be pumped, man. I mean, that is an amazing comeback in race number two. You know, with 13 days, it would be an insane performance. With six, it's just like next level, you know, total madness. So um, did you surprise yourself how you were able to close after the 132.50? And was it a surprise? I mean, did you be like, were you like, wow, I really uh, did this? Or you actually thought, hey, I could still pull this together? 
I thought I could pull it together. I just had a uncertainty of like what my tired legs would do. And actually in the beginning miles, like my legs already like were feeling tight already by like mile three. So I'm like, I need to not cramp up. And I was just trying to like mentally like loosen everything and it, everything still felt tight throughout, but I, I didn't cramp. So that was good. Awesome. So man, that is one hell of a Boston to Big Sur. I mean, you set the bar seriously high. It's going to take somebody really in incredibly fit shape to take that down. I mean, you got, you're going to need two sub threes and you know, you really have to run consistent. I mean, that's the whole key. Um, and the two courses, it sounds like they're similar in the profile. So you got to be a strong hill runner to be able to take that beating, um, whether it's six days apart or 13 days apart. So, um, what's next? Do you have anything big planned after that? Or are you just chilling out now and just totally focused on recovery? Um, so I signed up for San Francisco again. So I think technically that's like 12 weeks out. So <laughs> I think I was already supposed to have started my training cycle for that, but, um, I, I'm, I'll take, um, you know, take some time to rest and then I'll get back at it. So I've San Francisco, um, I'm eyeing this 50 miler in, um, in the fall, and then I'll probably be back at CIM. Nice. Maybe I'll get my PR. Who's, who knows? <laughs> yeah. CIM is a great race. It's perfect for you. I mean, you know, the terrain, um, you can train well for it. It's not far for you to get to. I mean, it's, it's perfect. And the weather is almost always spot on at CIM. And there's such a strong women's field there every year, like literally from sub three all the way down to OTQ standard. So you have so many other fast women to roll with. And they also have great pacing groups. So, you know, all, you have all the, the things that you need in that mix to, uh, to try to get after, you know, a great performance. So, it's been awesome, man, hearing some of your uh, feats that you've been putting together, man, and crushing it out there on the roads. Um, I always ask every runner before we sign off, like, what uh, what's something important to you in community service, something you're doing in your area, in your own backyard, running-related or non-related, just something that's important to you that you're uh, taking an interest in and for community service side? Uh, so, unrunning-related, I, I bake cakes for um, an organization called Cakes for Kids, they make, uh, they work with social workers to get cakes to foster kids and other youth who might not have a birthday cake. And so, um, yeah, so they have a, a portal where you can sign up to, um, they show, say like what flavor and what design they want. And so you can, and the age of the kid, and then you bake the cake and deliver it to the social worker. So I do a couple of those a month. That's so cool. I love it. Well, you can maybe you can make me a gluten free one if you feel like it. That'd be awful nice. Um, I've done gluten free. I have a good gluten free. <laughs> I love it. Good for you, man. Well, it's been so fun chatting with you, and I know people are going to be inspired by uh, some of these serious feats that you're uh, been able to put together and throw down. Uh, and it's it's inspiring stuff, man. So thanks so much for coming on and chatting with me and sharing your story. I have no doubt it will inspire some other runners to get moving and try to tackle some really hard things and uh, maybe step out of their comfort zone a little and try something really new and challenging and hard like Boston, the Big Sur, a backyard ultra or anything that just maybe they're not thinking like this is something I can do. So thanks for sharing that. And what we say at the end of every show, we tell everybody to keep lacing them up, to keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight. Wow, I really enjoyed getting to know Thea in that episode. A crazy happenstance meetup. 
on the day before Boston, different shakeout runs, all the runners out on the Charles River. We bump into each other by accident. I rope her in to take a group photo for us and end up finding out she has a good friend, Angela, who runs for O'Leary Racing Team and uh, learned a little more about what she was planning to do with her Boston to Big Star Challenge. And we agreed to follow each other on Instagram. And uh, I'm just so happy I got her to come on and share some of the crazy stuff she's been up to, man. The crazier and more difficult it is, the more it gets her juices going. And man, can she deliver? Because you go out 130, 2.30, at Big Sur, and you got to close it down, you know, literally two and a half, three minutes faster on the back end to get close to that sub three that she was shooting for. And she nearly pulled it off. She still finished second overall um, in that race, but won the challenge and became the first to go sub six. Super, super impressive stuff. Um, I know she's got San Francisco Marathon uh, coming up. And after that, I think she's probably going to settle in for CIM and it's going to be exciting. I have no doubt she's going to be shooting to take that marathon PR down further. And after her sister Liz listens to this, she better be careful because I think her sister's going to be gunning for her. You might have to get her on. So we have point counterpoint and we have the two sisters on and it'll be really fun. Anyway, I really enjoyed the episode. I hope you all do too. And uh, I hope uh, you can take a moment somewhere to share it with your friends put it out via stories, via Instagram, Strava, any method you have. Hey, go old school, man. Text or call your friends and say this episode might really interest you and get the juices flowing. And uh, the thing that matters the most and really helps us uh, grow um, the people listening to our show and most importantly helps me get great guests like Thea is when you take that extra time to go on Apple Podcasts and write a quick review about an episode and what really moved you in that particular show. So thanks uh, from the bottom of my heart for all of you to do that. I'm recording right now from Barcelona. I'm over here getting ready to run the Barcelona Marathon on Sunday. So uh, fun stuff, um, exciting stuff. It's also part of the Global Run Club Virtual Marathon. So I'll be getting points for the Abbott World Marathon Majors, Wanda Age Group Championship, and uh, hopefully getting a chance to earn a spot there to compete in 2023 as I did in 2021. So super exciting stuff, everybody. Uh, Keep doing great things. Keep chasing big goals. Keep lacing them up. Keep getting out the door. And always remember to stay in the fight, my friends. Peace out. Peace out.